Mariners Mojo here, the heartbeat of baseball. We've got a bunch of guys here to help us preview the rest of the AL West this evening. We're going to start off with Jeff Wilson to help us talk about the Texas Rangers and their upcoming season. Mariners Mojo here, the heartbeat of baseball, talking with Jeff Wilson. He covers the Rangers for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. How's it going, Jeff? Uh, going well. How about you guys tonight? Not too bad. I mean, the Mariners finally broke their tie streak. but <laughs> so That was pretty impressive. <laughs> oh. And I guess the Rangers and the Mariners kind of have something in common where young team, not a lot's expected of them this year. Is that how it feels for Texas? Because I know that's how it feels for Seattle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's really ever since last season ended and, and even before then, that's, you know, John Daniels, the president of baseball operations, has said that the Rangers are not going to not expecting to contend this year. And, uh, you know, it's it's a, a rebuild, which uh, they've been through before. It's been a while, but, um, you know, I think that some, sometimes it just becomes a, a necessity in this day and age. And, um that's where they are. You know, their, their, their farm system was terrible after uh, the trades in 2015 and 16 to, to try to, you know, get, get to the world series, which uh, they never made out of the division round, but, you know, it cost them a bunch of prospects and um, they're left with nothing. And, you know, they had some big salaries that were coming off the books and starting with Adrian Beltre and uh, Shinsu Chu who, who came off after last year and they traded Elvis Andrus. And so it's uh uh, it, it, it's rebuild 101 here, and um, but yeah, you know, if you're if you're a fan and you, and you follow prospects and that's your thing, then this could be an exciting year. It definitely seems like it's going to be learning a lot about the youth going forward, because it looks like he's projected as of right now is pretty young for the team. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, and, and some of the names are pretty familiar. You know, Joey Gallo's still around, and um. Isaiah Kiner Falefa, who came came on last year and won a Golden Glove at third base, he moved to shortstop. Uh, so you know they they're not going to be complete strangers to Mariners fans when they they come to T-Mobile Park. But um, yeah, you, you know Rugnet Odor is still there, uh, although he's kind of being pushed out. It sounds like by Nick Solak, but you know Leody Tavares in center field is probably, in my opinion, the the, the best of the the bunch. Uh, and then and then when you get to let's say the trade deadline or the all-star break, then you're, you're going to start getting like Josh Young's of the world, uh, their top prospect getting called up. So, um, yeah, there's going to be some, there's going to be some lumps. There's going to be some big ERAs. There's going to be some lopsided scores, but, um, and a lot of losses, <laughs> but, but they think they'll come out rosy on the other side at some point. So uh, how excited are the fans to see uh, Travers for the whole year? Yeah. You know, it, I, I think, there's there's still some some question about his bat, uh, but he I mean he's an exciting player. You know he he came up last year and, and I mean he made the opening day roster and then he got sent sent down. Then he came up again in late August after the Rangers had gone into tank and then uh, uh, right like right away like he robbed Justin Turner of a three run homer that ended up winning the game for the Rangers and he stole some bases. He he hit he hit for more power uh, than he ever has. Um, you know, struck out a little bit more, but that was kind of by design because they wanted him to expand a little bit to, you know, kind of be a little more aggressive and let the power play. But um, it, it, you know, I mean, his up his upside is a multiple time All Star. I think his his floor is 
just a really good defensive center fielder who can run and and occasionally do something. So he, he's going to be around, but it just depends on at you know where, where, where that ceiling where where he gets off the elevator. So the floor is kind of like someone that they acquired, uh, Delano De Shields. Uh, maybe a little more than that. More power, um, okay. better defense, better definitely a better arm. Um, so I, you know. Uh, and we, we, we love the, the lineup in the media and he's a good guy and, and everything, but uh, the bats never clicked and, and um, his, his arm has, has never really been there, but Leody's arm is a difference maker. What about like, you got Gallo and right and Leody in center. What about Dahl coming over to play left? Yeah, that's, that's a pretty interesting acquisition. Uh, you know, what, what he went through last year, a, a horrible year. Uh, he, he needed shoulder surgery. Um, then he get then he gets non-tendered the year, <laughs> a year after he was an all-star, um, you know, and it's not like he was going to make a, a, a pile of money. Anyway, so he, he Dahl is coming to, uh, be the starting left fielder. He's a defensive upgrade. Uh, when he's healthy, he hits and, uh, it, it's an interesting tiny cause he, he, he'll, he'll probably be around next year. He's still got one more year of arbitration. It, it it pushes Willie Calhoun, who's a defensive liability, to DH. Or they also have uh, Chris Davis, who you guys know is a defensive liability times two. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, 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 it's kind of a mess. There's, a, there's, there's some names that you know, but uh, I think Dahl is, is – defense is going to win out and Dahl's going to end up being the left fielder most of the time. So you mentioned Calhoun and Davis, and you talked about second base earlier. Are those kind of the two big position battles for trying to figure out who the starter is. Well, in first base, uh, first base, uh, third base, the DH thing. Yeah, those are probably the 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 three biggest ones. You know, first base is um, Ronald Guzman, who's I guess the incumbent. Uh, he was the Dominican Winter League MVP, so he's coming in to camp confident he's already hit a couple homers uh but the rangers went out and got nate Lowe from tampa and uh at the time they said that Lowe was going to be the starter but i don't know i think i think uh you know guzman may have found something finally you know it, it might have clicked this winter uh so so that's that's the one to watch it looks like nick Solak's going to be the second baseman uh dumpy no door uh the rangers don't have a third baseman so the door's going to go over there looks like he's played there uh, in a couple spring games, and he, he hasn't been a liability yet. Um, so, you know, but, but you know, how long is he going to be there is, is the question because Josh Young's a third baseman. And, you know, once Josh Young comes up, they're not, they're not going to call him up and just, you know, put him on the bench. He's going to play every day. So uh, that, that's going to be uh, in flux. So really the only infield position that, that is set in stone is, is kind of fluff at shortstop. Uh, but I would think that that Solak is a very good safe bet for second. It seems like there's a lot of young, exciting guys coming up for the infield soon with young at third. And then uh, is Sam Huff potentially a catcher, right? Yeah. He, he pulled his hamstring um, early in camp. And um, so he's, he's definitely going to start in the minors. Uh, that, that was the plan all along. If he'd, been totally healthy he was going to start uh in the minors you know whenever they start but uh you know he came up late last year it was kind of out of necessity i don't think they wanted him to to debut last year uh he held his own you know offensively he did fine he needs help he needs help defensively he needs to 
not necessarily with like the throwing and the framing that stuff's all fine but it's the the working with pictures and and uh, figuring that stuff out and so you know a little time in the minors isn't going to hurt them and that and they acquired uh jonah heim in that chris davis elvis anders trade uh he he also debuted late last year at the a's uh similar situation doesn't doesn't have nearly the power of huff i mean huff could be you know he could be a 30 40 home run hitter that's what the rangers really truly believe he's just a monster um uh, but heim uh, a heim huff combination in a couple of years could be pretty good. Uh, Huff could play first base. He's a big guy. And, you know, Jose Trevino, the Rangers have loved him for years. He's like a defensive whiz. So they, they actually, for once, seem pretty solid at catcher. So you mentioned Huff and seeing like 6'5", 240. With that massive power he's got, is there kind of a want to move him out of catcher to make sure he's in the lineup every day and can stay healthier? Yeah, no, I mean, that's definitely been discussed. And he, he played a little first base late in the year. Um, and, and, you know, you kind of look at the uncertainty at first and with, with Guzman and, and low, um, both left-handed hitters, Huff bats right-handed. So, you know, maybe, maybe in future seasons, it, it becomes a platoon at first, uh, on the days Huff isn't catching. I, I, I don't know, but, um, the Rangers really like him as a catcher though. And he, he's big. I mean, he's a, he's gigantic. He really is. You know, you, you just gave his height and weight. But he moves well. He's got pretty quick feet and a big arm. So um, I, I think you know there there are there are big catchers. You know, big guys who've been catchers. Matt Weeters is the one I always think of. Uh, so I I I wouldn't I wouldn't try to move Huff out of catcher yet. But I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. Is there any other like uh, minor league guys that you guys are looking forward to bringing up this year? Well, you know, there, there are a lot of pitchers. Um, who, who, you know, kind of debuted last year, like Dane Dunning, who was in the Lance Lynn trade, Kyle Cody, who actually made his MLB, MLB debut at uh, T-Mobile last year. So um, th- th- those are some of the guys. Uh, I think Cole Wynn and, and Hans Kraus, names who have been in the minors a few years, they're, they're not quite ready. Uh, I think a guy to, to look out for, his name is Davis Wenzel. He's an infielder. Uh, he was he in 2019. He he shared Big 12 uh, offensive player of the year with uh, Josh Young. So he he's a versatile guy uh, who who can he doesn't quite have a ton of power, but gap to gap. Um, and then Justin Foscue. I don't know if he'll make his debut this year, but he was the Rangers' um, first round pick last year, and he's in big league camp. And I mean, I, the, the Rangers just, they just love him. They think he's going to be like a 300 hitter, middle of the lineup, 30 homer guy. So uh, he's not far away. It may not be this year, but um, he, he, he's on the cusp. And with that Dane Dunning trade, and I'm glad you started talking about pitching because we can kind of transition into that direction. Was it a surprise to see the team trade Lynn for Dunning last year? And if I remember right, it was pretty soon after young was named gm yeah uh young didn't uh, chris young didn't have anything to do with the trade it was it was like everything had been agreed to okay and then like i I can't remember if he was hired let's say on monday and the trade was tuesday or vice versa but um he he I, i think that 
he knew of the trade, you know, I think during the interview process, it had gotten pretty far down the line. And so they were filling them in, but um, it was, it was John Daniels and, and, and crew. Um, I wasn't surprised by it. If anything, I was surprised that Lynn wasn't traded last year uh, at the trade deadline when a team would have gotten a little more control and maybe in theory, given a little more, you kind of look at the Mike Clevenger trade with the Padres though. And the, you know, the Padres didn't have to give up any, I don't think they gave up a top 10 prospect. Uh, but, you know, Dunning was a, a, a top 10 White Sox prospect. Uh, so I think the trade at that point, you know, the, the Rangers got the value they're looking for. And then they got a guy named Avery Weems who ended up falling into their top 30 uh, in the, the baseball America top 30. So, Pretty, pretty good trade for, for a guy who was controllable for one year in Lynn. Um, you know, Dundee, he made his debut um, today against the Dodgers. Pitched pretty well for, for his first time out. Uh, he's going to, you know, this will be his first full season after Tommy John. So the Rangers aren't just going to let him go out there and throw 180 innings. They're going to they're gonna try to uh, uh, protect him a little bit. But um, I'm curious, I, I, I you know, he – you get these prospects who are headline type prospects and uh, you, you want to see him. And he, he's definitely a fit. I mean, the Rangers, Rangers need starting pitching Lord knows. And uh, um, so he, he, he could be a guy for a while. So with Dunning and Fulton Evitz and Arihara coming over first, is there a thought of going to like a six man to kind of ease that burden? You know, it was discussed, um, pretty intently here in the first couple of weeks, but, but uh, Chris Woodward came out and said, it's going to be a five man rotation, but they're going to do, you know, do some piggybacking. Uh, they might pick <clears throat> piggyback the last two uh, spots, which would give them really a seven man rotation when you stop and think about it, or at least seven, you know, seven guys in a five man rotation. Uh, so that's where, that's where Dunning and Kyle Cody will fit in. And, and maybe a guy like Taylor Hearn, who, uh, you guys might remember had a disastrous MLB debut in 2019 at at Seattle. Um, he he's he's still around. Uh, there, like a guy like Wes Benjamin, who also pitched against the Mariners last year. So um, th- there there's a bunch of arms, and really it, it's a good way for the Rangers to to look at guys. I mean, I you know they are rebuilding. They need to see what they have and what they can keep and what they need to move away from. And, uh, you know, going into 22, uh, they're going to have some openings in the rotation, <clears throat> like Jordan Lyles, who isn't assured of anything uh, this year. Uh, he'll, he'll become a free agent, and the Rangers aren't going to re-sign him. So um, they, they, need to, they need to see what they got. And, uh, you know, what a better way to do it than, you know, a season where you know you're not going to contend, so just run them out there. So what do they think they got with uh, Ahara? You know, Honestly, the I, I think the number one reason they got him is last season he threw. Um, you know, Japan played more of a, a closer to a regular season than MLB did, and Arihara threw. I think it was shoot a hundred and like thirty two innings, hundred thirty two and two third innings, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that was forty eight and two thirds innings more than the MLB leader last year, who just happened to be Lance Lynn. So. <laughs> uh, they, they needed, they needed innings and, you know, they're, they're not paying him much. Um, you know, they, they, they think he's going to hold his own. They, you know, maybe strike out more guys because his off-speed pitches will play, uh, better 
in this style of offense and in, in MLB where there's a lot of swing and miss. So uh, it'll be interesting. You know, there's a lot of Japanese media out. It's not like a, it's not like it was, what, nine years ago with Darvish where there are 100, 150 Japanese media. Darvish's first workout, but um, you know, it's it's some it's big news over there. And uh, he he seems the interesting thing he, he keeps talking about. He doesn't want to embarrass himself or the the team he came from, Hokkaido. So. Uh, it seems like he's he's pretty dialed in and focused. So we'll we'll see. But um, um, again, the Rangers need Indians, and I think that's the number one reason that that they went out and got this guy. And so you mentioned it. You said that the front office has mentioned it. It's kind of it's a stretch to project them to win the division or really contend this year. Mm-hmm. So what what's a realistic ceiling for the team this season? I mean, I don't, I don't, geez, it's. I think I think when you look at the the Las Vegas odds, I think the the number the over under number is uh, uh, like sixty eight and a half or sixty seven and a half somewhere in there. So, I mean that's terrible. Obviously, uh, <laughs> I mean I, I I don't I don't think this team can finish five hundred. You know I I mean that I, I think that's a that's a stretch. Uh, I mean they 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 were they're pretty bad last year, and I. I don't know that they did a lot to, to, to improve. Now they can improve internally. Like Gallo, who's gotten off to a, a red hot start this spring. I mean, you know, he was awful last year. So, you know, he, if he's better, they're better. You see what a full year of Tavares looks like, uh, see what improved defense looks like. Um, so I, I just, I just really think that, you know, 70 to 75 would be the best they can do win wise, but, um, I don't know. You, you never know. You never know what a little starting pitching will do, what a little uh, youthful exuberance will do. Uh, but again, I, I think that, that, you know, I think Vegas is kind of on the money with that 68 range. Um, just, just looking at it honestly, I think, I think that's, that's not too far off. And it's not always a bad thing to be, well, it's not good to be in that spot, but, having some of those high level prospects coming up, would it be better almost to have 60 wins and get the number one pick and go from there? You know, they're drafting second overall this year. Um, and, and I, th- I think the top of this draft is pretty heavy with, with talent. You know, I mean, I, if, if, you know, if you look at the Vanderbilt pitching staff alone, those are the top two guys, right? Rocker and, and lighter. And, uh, you know, the Rangers are going to be tempted by a, a shortstop here who, who's from, uh, uh, the DFW area. His name's Jordan Lawler. Shortstop. He's probably the top prep prep, prep player in the draft. And uh, University of Miami has a has a good catcher. Rangers are pretty solid at catcher. So uh, it, it's interesting. You know, the Rangers are always kind of high upside um, with with the draft, which you would think, boy, that 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 really makes it Lawler a fit. But um, this is number two overall, and you're rebuilding. It seems like. If, if rocker or lighter is there, it, it would be nuts not to take one of those two. You know, I mean, it seems like they're, it seems like they're not far away from the major, major leagues at all. So, um, and, and, you know, the, the Rangers are heavier on position players in the minors and they are pitchers. I, I just can't see a way. I mean, I can see a way cause I, they surprise me just about every year at the draft, but um, if rocker or lighter is there, they don't take them. They're, I think they'd really be taking a pretty big risk. 
And with, with how they've been pitching it, like you mentioned, it seems like you could just put them in the majors right now and they'd already fit in as like a number four starter. Yeah, I think they, I think they'd fit right in with the Rangers. I, I'm serious. I mean, I, <laughs> the Rangers don't have a guy like that. They don't have guys that, that are, you know, throwing a hundred and carrying it deep into their starts that, you know, who has that? And there aren't a lot of teams that have that. Vanderbilt's got two exactly. of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Jeff. Uh, you can follow you at the Fort Worth Star Telegram. Yeah. Your Twitter is Jeff Wilson underscore FWST. That's it. But is there uh, anything else you want to plug? Uh, you know, uh, I, I always, uh, I always do this. Um, uh, I am a, uh, I am part of a foundation called the Do It For Durrett Foundation. And uh, it was named after Richard Durrett, who was a sports writer here in town. Um, and in 2014, he, he just dropped dead. He was a year younger than me at the time. He was 38. Uh, he had two kids. His wife was pregnant with a third. And so a bunch of us <clears throat> decided that we would uh, uh, start a foundation that would help uh, families uh, and who experience a sudden loss of a parent and are left without, you know, an income or just need, need some help. And, you know, our, our first event, we raised $200,000 for Richard's family. And since then we've, uh, um, held events each year, except for last year because of COVID. But, uh, what we do is we just, we hold an event and we raise a bunch of money and we give it to families, uh, who need it. And it can be families who are, you know, obviously most of them are in Texas and Dallas, Fort Worth, but we've stepped out and, you know, if we hear a compelling reason uh, to, to help in other parts of the country, we've done that too. So um, I will always plug the do it, do it for dirt foundation. So do it for dirt, D U R R E T T uh, dot com. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks for coming on, Jeff. I really right, appreciate fellas. it. Appreciate you. Have a good one. Remember to check out the Do It For Durrett Foundation. Help out if you can. It's always great to support a great foundation like that. Thanks to Jeff Wilson for previewing the Rangers. Next up is Jeff Fletcher to help us talk about the Angels and their season. Mariners Mojo here. We got Jeff Fletcher who covers the Angels for Southern California News Group. How's it going, Jeff? Pretty good. How are you? Good. So I think we kind of have to start off talking about Otani. He's back on the mound. He's back in the box. How's exciting is it around the angels to have him back at full force well i think obviously there's a lot of skepticism around otani even from angels fans uh before spring training started and i think a lot of that or some of that has certainly been eased by the way and off to uh start this spring he's uh he's throwing 100 off the mound and he's he's hitting much better than he did in uh, previous spring trainings he hit a 468 foot home run the other day so uh, he definitely, for spring training, he, he looks about the, as good as they could expect. So I think that they, a lot of fans are cautiously optimistic that, that he can do what he did in 2018 when he first broke in, but do it for a whole season, which would be a huge boost to the Angels. And I think really exciting for all of baseball. So the Mariners are going to go in six-man rotation. Is there any word of that with the Angels doing that? Yeah, the Angels are also having a six-man rotation. Uh, I think a lot of teams are going to do it just because of the the pitchers are all going to be increasing their workload a lot from last year. So it's just to kind of uh, hedge against that. 
And the team signed Quintana and traded for Cobb. Uh, does that help improve last year's rotation? Uh, possibly. We don't really know uh, how good those guys are going to be. They Quintana was hurt basically all last year, went through a few innings, and uh, Cobb was uh, it's been sort of mediocre for the last several years. So they might be busts, but uh, the Angels are certainly optimistic that they can can do better. And and the Angels really last year, outside of uh, Dylan Bundy, Griffin Canning, and Andrew Heaney, they were really horrendous the other spots in the rotation so they don't need to do a lot better than that to be improved but they they still need to uh to get significantly better if they're going to be a playoff team so with those two and then even otani and the guys you mentioned is it more of just hoping they're healthy and can eat innings yeah i mean i i think they feel like all of those guys have potential to be like you know otani obviously has the stuff to be like an ace a number one starter he hasn't really done it yet, but I think he's got the stuff. And the other guys all look like they're, you know, three, four starters, you know, at best, you know. And I think the Angels feel like if they get six guys that are all at that level and they don't have anybody who's like a number seven starter, which is what they've had in the past, that that will, that will help them out a lot. And it's not just Quintana and Cobb that they got. Um, you got a new closer, supposedly the closer in Rysel Iglesias. But uh, you guys also, it sounds like love butchery. Um, is Iglesias going to be the closer for now? Iglesias is the closer. They got him to be the closer. I think he's fifth in the majors and saves for the last five years or four years or something like that. So he's a pretty legit closer. He's a more legit closer than they've had going into the season in, in the last several years. And uh, Ty Butchery, I think, has shown flashes of, of late inning potential, but he's also been really inconsistent. So I think they're still kind of waiting to see on him. But, you know, he would probably be, if, if he pitches as well as he can, he would probably be the eighth inning guy. So then is there, I mean, you mentioned half of the rotation being not great last year. Having a guy like Iglesias at the back, is that kind of help the team be more confident that as long as those pitchers can give you five innings and give up three runs, that things will finish out strong? Well, I mean, that's the thing with, there was so much talk about the Angels needing rotation help, which they certainly did last year. But also their bullpen blew a lot of games. I think they tied for the major league leading blown saves. So they feel like if they clean that up, that it definitely would make a difference also. Now they don't really have like a super deep bullpen. It doesn't really, after Iglesias, there's really nobody else that's, you know, super, uh, been super consistent of late. They all have potential, which is like every team's bullpen. Most relievers are can be either really good or really bad. So I think it's it's too early to say if the bullpen's going to be as good as they hope, but uh, it should be better than last year. You mentioned consistency, and it it sounds funny when you say it, but Trout had his worst MVP finish in his career, finishing fifth last year. Um, would you take him or the field as the MVP this year? I think Trout's favorite every year, and uh, I think it's – if you look at what Trout's worst year was, that kind of tells you as much about how good he is than when you look at his good years, because he still had a, I think a 990 OPS, something like that. And that was one of his worst years. And uh, he finished fifth in MVP voting. And I, I think I saw a stat the other day that in all of his eight or nine full seasons, he's finished in the top five in MVP voting. And there's only two other players in all of baseball that have even done that the last two years. 
So I think with Trout, he had a fourth place finish, a fifth place finish, and everything else is first or second, if I remember right. Yeah, and the fourth place finish was when he was injured for about seven weeks. So yeah, he only played what 110, 115 games that season. Something like that, yeah. Yes, to be fourth in MVP with playing essentially two thirds of the season—that's a not too shabby right there. He's pretty good. It's funny because we no, no one even talks about him anymore. You know, when I do uh, preview podcasts and radio interviews and stuff like that, people just even forget to ask about Mike Trout now. It seems odd, but <laughs> is there any of the top prospects coming up that are going to join him in the outfield this year? Uh, Joe Adele, who made his debut last year, and he was one of the top prospects in all of baseball. I think he was any of the year, but he was really not ready to be in the big leagues. Uh, he barely played any AAA in 2019, and then obviously there was no minor league season last year. So I think the game was kind of fast for him, and he – was pretty bad. Uh, I think they feel like he's going to get back there and, and he'll be the everyday right fielder at some point this year, but it's not going to be at the beginning of the year. And uh, after that, they their next best everyday prospect is Brandon Marsh, who is uh, another outfielder, but he hasn't played any AAA. So I think he's probably maybe a September call-up this year and uh, could be a regular starting uh, sometime next year maybe. So would the plan for 2022 then to be Trout, Marsh, and Adele in the outfield and move Upton, or is it something uh, That would be nice. I don't know if they can do anything with Upton. So I think they're just going to kind of wing it and uh, see what happens. And maybe uh, if, if Adele and Marsh are both so good that they both need to play, maybe they trade one of them. Uh, or maybe they – just make up to a DH or something like that. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do. That's uh, that would be a good problem for them to have if, if Marsh and Adele are both so good that they need to play. Yes, yeah, as, as Mariners fans, we kind of hope for the same thing that you have two guys come up that are young and force themselves into the the or the their playing time. Yeah. But with Upton, could they? You mentioned it. Move them to move him to DH, especially with kind of Pujols nearing the end. Yeah, this is the last year for Pujols, uh, and uh, I think he's not going to play a whole lot because I think Otani's going to DH a lot, and I think Jared Walsh is going to play first base a lot. So I could see Pujols playing maybe 70 games all year, something like that, where he plays like 40 games at DH and 30 games at first base or something like that. So, I mean, it, it's that, that could happen. And his – has Pujols said that this is going to be his last year? No, he is not. But it is the last year's contract, and he's 41 years old, and his numbers keep declining. So I think we can all do the math on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, other than Marsh, are there any other prospects that we could expect to see on the Angels get called up this year? Uh, their top two pitching prospects are uh, Chris Rodriguez and Reed Detmers, and they both – have uh, been pretty impressive in a couple spring outings, but they're both pretty raw. Reed Detmers was their first-round pick just last year, so he has pitched zero minor league games. And uh, Chris Rodriguez had basically lost two years to back injuries and then played zero minor league games last year. So he uh, probably also needs some more seasoning. But uh, if they want to bring him up maybe as a reliever, he could make it by the end of this year. But if they want to let him, you know, finish out his development as a starter. I think he's more like a next year kind of guy. 
And then over at short, you guys have had one of the best gloves in all of baseball for quite a while in Andrelton Simmons. Um, what's it going to be like with the replacement of him with Iglesias coming in now? Well, Jose Iglesias is certainly no Andrelton Simmons, but he is pretty impressive. Uh, he's just, in the last two days, he's made some ridiculous plays at short, and I think that they they don't feel like they're going to lose a whole lot there. And he also has he hit really well last year, so he could be a better hitter than Simmons. Uh, so I think that they, they feel like, you know, offense and defense combined, it could get the same value out of him as they got out of Simmons. So uh, Vegas, uh, the Angels getting low 80s wins. Does that – do you expect the team to make the playoffs or fight for the division? Uh, they got a chance. I don't know. There's obviously a lot of variables and a lot of guys, you know, it depends who gets hurt. I think I think they're over-under right now. is like 83 wins or something like that. And so that means they could go anywhere from probably 89 to – 76 something like that so uh you know i think they'll be somewhere in there i think you know just based on a week of spring training they look a little better than that so i would say maybe i would up it to maybe 85 but uh but still they they do need a lot of things to to go right in order to make the playoffs who's your one guy if you had to pick one for who's the say the dark horse who's really going to exceed expectations on the team this year hmm uh, that's a good question. Let me go with uh, I'm gonna go with Justin Upton because he actually was a lot of people just wanted to give him up for dead, and uh, after last year, and he really last year was he had one really bad month and then one really good month, but still that wasn't enough. You know, in a short season, his numbers ended up looking bad, and the year before that. He basically missed half the year with an injury and had bad numbers. So I think a lot of people have just sort of forgotten about him and they just, you know, want to be done with him. But he's also looked really good in spring training. And he's if he's normal spring training and normal season and he had a normal healthy offseason, I think he could he could produce maybe not like the prime Justin Upton when he was 27 years old, but uh, I think he's a significant upgrade on what he was uh, the last couple of years. I like that pick because with Trout and Otani and Rendon, that Upton, it, it's really not that far out of it to say he hits 250 with 30 home runs or even a better season than that. Yeah, I mean, even in his bad years, the home runs were still there. So, And if he just gets the average up a little bit, he could easily put up, you know, an 850 OPS or something like that, which I think would be, you know, a great thing to have out of your number five hitter. Is it realistic to expect Trout, Otani, Rendon, and Upton to all hit 30-plus home runs? Uh, I think it'll kind of be a little tough with Otani just because he's not going to play as much because he's pitching too. But uh, those other three guys certainly all could do it. So when it comes down to it, do the Angels make the playoffs? I'm going to say probably not, especially because there's no expanded playoffs this year and they still have to – to climb over a lot of teams. I think that they should definitely be better and they should definitely contend. But uh, if you're forcing me to pick one way or the other, I'll say they will not end up making the playoffs. Well, at least it sounds like they're going to be close. So that should make for hopefully an exciting September. All you can ask for is that you, you have a chance and have meaningful baseball in the end. And I think they should have that. I think that's a, a good spot to end with it. 
thanks for joining us, Jeff. If I remember right, your Twitter is at Jeff Fletcher OCR. That's correct. Is there anything else you want to plug? No, that's it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for Jeff for coming on to talk about the Angels. Sounds like they could contend up at the top of the division with the Astros and the Athletics. Next up, we have Chandler Rome to talk about those Astros and their potential to win the division this year at the top of the AL West. And we're joined with Chandler Rome, who covers the Astros for Houston Chronicle. How's it going, Chandler? Good. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you kind of have a, a rough go compared to normal trying to cover the team down in spring training. Yeah, you know, it, it, I'm never going to complain, um, given what last year was like and, and given, you know, there, there are people that, that lost their jobs and there are people that had it way worse than I did. And I, and I don't ever want to complain about, you know, trivial things like access and not being able to get into the clubhouse. You know, I'm still employed. I still get to watch baseball for a living and I, I'm never going to complain. But, yeah, you know, it's been a little bit more difficult. Um, we, we don't have the access that we usually have. We, we aren't able to get into the clubhouse. And, you know, part of why spring training is cool is – it's a lot more laid back than normal. You get to see all the minor leaguers that you would never get to see during the regular season. And um, you get to uncover some different stories in spring training than you do kind of when the grind of the regular season is going on. So, but everybody's adjusting. I think every reporter in the, in the country is adjusting. So I'm doing the same as they are. I saw that the team recently signed Odorizzi. Was it a surprise? And have you had a chance to talk with him at all? Uh no, he'll be introduced. I think we're recording this on a Monday. He's actually going to be introduced on Zoom tomorrow on Tuesday. So I'll know more about him then. But um, it was a surprise in some ways. Um, I didn't come into spring training thinking the Astros were going to sign anyone else. But then um, Framber Valdez broke his left ring finger and it created a, a pretty gaping hole in the Astros rotation. And we don't know specifically how long Valdez is going to be out, but the, the fact that the Astros took the drastic step of signing Odorizzi um, would, would, lend, would lead you to believe that he's not going to be back for a while. So um, certainly Odorizzi is a guy. He was an all-star in 2019. Um, he's been durable. He's been consistent. And, and that's two things that this rotation, um, though if you would have, you know, before the season you would have painted the Astros rotation as a strength. But the one thing that they didn't have, even with Valdez in there, they didn't have, you know, guys with a lot of durability and they didn't have guys with a lot of proven track records. Um, Odorizzi gives them both of those. So um, it's a, it's better than where they would have been without Fromber, but um, certainly it's a, uh, it's a rotation that, that is not deep and it's one that's going to need some guys to step up. And Verlander's out for the year. Valdez has the fractured finger. And then it came out what on the seventh that, now, once again, Whitley has something going on. Yeah, so Forrest Whitley, um, he's staring down a fourth consecutive lost season. He, he's got a sprained UCL. Um, there, there is fear within the organization that he needs Tommy John. Um, he, he's seeking a second opinion right now. He hasn't confirmed or, or said that he's going to have Tommy John, but th- there is a belief within the organization that he will end up having the surgery. Um, and obviously that'll put him out for the entire season. And, and look, I, I don't think the Astros were counting on Forrest Whitley as a huge piece of this year. I, I don't know how they could because he's had three straight lost seasons and just hasn't been himself. Um, but if, if there was every year where they needed Forrest Whitley to put it all together and become, 
kind of the pitcher that they think he is, it was this year when, like I mentioned, they don't have a ton of starting pitching depth and they need some people in the minors to step up and having him step up would have been ideal, but it's certainly not going to happen this year. And he may not be back to throwing until uh, some point next year. Is there any other pitchers in the minors that could be stepping up? You know, you look at two guys that were, that made brief cameos in the big leagues last year and Brandon Belak who actually I believe made his debut against the Mariners um, came in at minute made park and threw really well. And then a guy named Luis Garcia who, um, you know, started game six, game five, excuse me, of the American league championship series last year. He was more of an opener um, in that game. So he didn't have a traditional start, but um, those are two guys that are probably their most uh, durable, probably their most seasoned depth pieces that they, I would, say right now are going to get major league innings this year. Um, guys that you may have not heard of that are either on the 40 or lurking outside the 40 man um, that could maybe see some innings this year. Or Tyler Ivey, who was added to the 40 man this year. Um, Jairo Solis. Maybe you get a guy like Sean Dubin, who's, who's right on the 40 man, who's not on the 40 man right now, but he's right on the precipice. And, and maybe a guy like Ken Emanuel, who, Ken Emanuel started their Grapefruit League game on, on Sunday. He's actually got 18 games left and a, and a drug suspension right now. Um, so when he gets off of suspension, he looked pretty good in his Grapefruit League start on Sunday. Maybe he's a guy that can contribute as well. And it looks like a lot of those guys kind of round out the top 10 of the prospects for Houston. Um, Whitley, obviously, at the top. What about Hunter Brown? Hunter Brown is a guy that, that he's a look. The organization loves him. He, he's he's very very he's very much on their radar. Um, but I, I I don't have the numbers in front of me. I, I don't think he's thrown a full professional season yet. So to expect him to to contribute major league innings this year may be a little bit of a stretch for them. But this is a guy that that the Astros are really good at finding these diamonds in the rough. He was a fifth round pick in nineteen out of Wayne State. Um, grew up Verlander. He, he's only thrown 23 and two thirds professional innings, and that was in low A ball in Tri City. So um, he needs probably a year in the minors to season a little bit. But he's in big league camp. Um, they've got the coaching staff's eyes on him. They really do like him, um, but I, I think he's a year or two away. One of the the big stories earlier on was kind of the Astros free agent outfielder outfielders. And the big one was Springer. Was there an expectation that he was going to come back or was it that he was always going to leave? No, there was no expectation. He was going to come back. Um, He was as good as gone when the, uh, he was as good as gone when, when the American league championship series ended. And um, that's just kind of been the Astros MO as of late that they don't splurge on free agencies. They don't splurge um, with big free agent deals. That has not been what they have done in Jim Crane's ownership tenure. The longest free agent deal they've given in Jim Crane's ownership tenure is a four-year, $52 million deal to Josh Reddick. Um, Obviously, George Springer needed a whole lot more than that um, to get his services back here. And um, the Astros just weren't going to do that. They they offered him the qualifying offer, and that was it. Um, Once he turned that down, um, out of respect, they – they were cordial, but they, they kind of knew it was going to go in a different way. Um, so they brought back Michael Brantley on a, on a more Astros-like deal, two years, $32 million. Um, they don't do 
like I said, they don't do long-term free agent deals. That's just not how they've built their team. They, they do it um, by contract extensions. They do it by trades. They do it by drafting and developing. And I'm sure you guys are going to ask me later on about a certain contract extension that um, may happen this spring training. That's more of how the Astros build their team. They don't do it in free agency. So the Brantley one wasn't much of a surprise coming back? Well, I, I think the way it happened was a little bit of a surprise. I don't know if you guys remember that day, but um, Springer had actually signed with the Blue Jays the night before, and there was a report later – there was a report the next morning that Michael Brantley had agreed to a deal um, with the Blue Jays, and, and Michael Brantley and George Springer are very close. They're, they're best friends. They share an agent. Um, they became very close in Houston, and – there was a thought in the industry that they could be a package deal, that this could be a kind of an NBA style free agency where it's a package deal sort of thing. Um, you know, I don't think that report was, it certainly wasn't accurate because he's not a blue Jay right now. I don't think it was completely off base though. I think they were very much in discussions, um, but I, they were not, had not agreed on anything and it really, it really lit a fire under the Astros to get it done. Um, you know, they, they had been in contact with Brantley since before the season ended. They had offered him something even before the season ended. They had offered him an extension, um, you know, but he explored free agency um, and they, um, you know, after the Blue Jays, it appeared we're going to pounce. The Astros got reinvigorated and got the deal done that, that afternoon. We might as well keep talking about contracts. And you mentioned it earlier. He's going to be part of the shortstop bonanza. Um, I think you mentioned before we started recording that you've really only had talks with Correa once since spring training started. Is there any update with him? Um, uh, well, like you said, we've only had him once. Um, and when he talked to us, he said there had been no discussions between he and his, his representatives in the Astros. Um, but I, I do expect that there will be talks. Um, you know, both sides have made it known that they want to make this happen. Um, I don't think Carlos Correa is going to take anything close to a hometown discount, though. I don't think it's one of those things where he wants to be an Astros so bad that he's going to take less than he's worth. Um, he's just letting everyone know that, that he wants to be back here, but he's not going to do it on their terms. He's going to do it on his terms. He's going to take the deal he thinks he's worth. Now, I'm not advising Carlos Correa, but, but I certainly think Carlos Correa probably has more to gain than anyone in this next free agent class, because if he goes out and, and has the sort of season we know Correa can have his 2015-esque season or his 2017-esque season, and if he can stay healthy and if he can play 150, 155 games, um, he's up there with pro maybe he may be the best shortstop available in this free agent class. He can only skyrocket his value um, by playing a full year. So, Maybe he bets on himself and he doesn't take the Astros offer if he doesn't like it and, and plays this season and tries to skyrocket his value. Um, now, the Astros could also say, you know, we're going to bet that he doesn't do that. And we're going to try to wait to do it after the season. You know, there, there's, there's so much incentive for both sides maybe to wait. Um, but I, I don't know. Carlos Correa has set opening day as a deadline. He said he does not want to talk about extension into the season. Um, you know, a lot of players say that, but I have a difficult time believing that if, you know, for some reason the Astros and his agent come to an agreement, come to a, come to a dollar amount that they 
that both sides are okay with, if they come to that in June, I feel like that they would agree to it and be okay. I, I don't buy the opening day deadline as being a hard and fast thing, but I do think it's going to be very tough for the Astros to get it done if they don't get it done by spring training. And you mentioned the, the Josh Reddick deal at four for 52, kind of being the biggest thing that's been signed in recent memory. Is that going to have an effect on Correa possibly signing a big, expensive deal? You, you know, um, when you look at it, you have to – you kind of have to um, go with precedent and go with what precedent has been. And, no, the Astros have not done this in free agency. Um, is Correa the guy that they can – that they feel they want to splurge on? I'm not sure. That's why I've that's why I've kind of said and I said in the last answer, you know, it feels like if they're going to lock him up long term, it's going to have to happen by the time spring training ends, because the Astros have never been a team to get into a bidding war in free agency. And even if Correa has a so-so year, maybe he misses a few games with injury and his value is just so-so going on to that market, he's still the youngest shortstop available on that market. He's still got. Um, just he's oozing with potential and oozing with talent well, you know when he's right he's one of the best players in baseball and there are going to be teams that want him and there are going to be teams that want to pay top dollar for him and just the Astros under Jim Crane they have not been the team to get into a bidding war and I just don't think if they get into a bidding war in free agency I don't think it ends well for him. So is there any uh, big position battles that are happening in spring training right now? No, no, not really. I mean, this team's pretty much set. I could probably write the 26-man roster right now. And, and barring injury, um, it would probably it would probably be the same now as it would be on opening day. I think the one spot you maybe could look at as a, it could change hands is maybe the fourth outfielder, the, the last spot on the bench. Um, maybe the last spot in the bullpen. I'm not sure that that makes for great podcast talk, talking about the, the final spot on the Astros bench. But, uh, I mean, probably the one place that um, a lot of people are going to focus their attention is in center field, where George Springer um, had been for so long. The Astros are, are going to count on Miles Straw, a guy that not a lot of people know a ton about. Um, he's a speedy guy, probably one of the fastest players in affiliated baseball, plays elite defense, um, does not have a great bat. Um, but the Astros are kind of hoping, and James Click, who the general manager who was with the Rays for so long, you know, the franchise face in Tampa Bay is a light-hitting elite center fielder named Kevin Kiermeyer. And I'm not comparing Miles Straw to Kevin Kiermeyer. I'm just trying to say that James Click has done this before. He's gone into a season with a light-hitting defense-first elite speed center fielder and, you know, the Astros, their lineup returns seven players that have been either above average or elite in their careers. Um, they don't need Miles Straw to be some offensive force, but they do need him to get on base. They do need him to showcase his speed on base. He can't be a black hole on offense. So um, they, they don't need Miles Straw to be anything superhuman offensively, but they do need him to be a little bit of an upgrade than what he has been. And I guess we'll finish off with this, that kind of Grinky's the proverbial ace now with Verlander being out. And wherever you look, it, it seems like the Astros are predicted to win the division. Is that still the expectation even amidst these injuries? That they've Yeah, I think they still have the best roster. I think they still have the best roster in the division. Um, you know, I, I think the A's certainly, they lost a lot this winter and, and they didn't do a ton to, to, to add. You know, they did get Trevor Rosenthal. Their bullpen's going to be, stout as it usually is and if they're young rotation pieces if they you know 
if, if they turn out to be pretty good, then I think that's a, that's a team that certainly could compete with them. I think the Mariners, uh, as I'm sure you guys know, I, I think the Mariners are about a year away, a year or two away. You know, I, I really love them. I, I love their young core. I love some of the guys on that team, but but I just think they're a year or two away maybe from really being in contention. The Rangers are going to rebuild, and the Angels will probably waste Mike Trout another year. So, um, you know, just <laughs> on the uh, just looking from the roster perspective, the Astros certainly have the best roster, but they've got to stay healthy. And, you know, uh, every podcast I do or every radio interview I do, people ask me, like, what's the key for the Astros? You know, their superstars have to play like superstars. Like Jose Altuve can't have a 629 OPS. Like Yuli Gurriel can't be as awful as he was in the second half last year. You know, Jordan Alvarez has to stay healthy. Alex Bregman can't hurt his hamstring and be out for a month and, and then be bad when he gets back. Carlos Correa has to be healthy. You know, their superstars have to play well. And if their superstars play like superstars, they have the best team in the division. Yeah, that makes sense. And with how many top-level guys, like you say, it's definitely a strong possibility if they're healthy that they – they easily take the division. Yeah, and then I, and then I think you know once you get into the playoffs, it's it's kind of a crapshoot from there. You know, I don't think I don't think they're anywhere near the the ta- the level of the Yankees. You know, I think the White Sox are certainly formidable now. Um, you know, even the Blue Jays that they added Springer. I mean that that's a that's a tough group. And then we haven't even mentioned the Rays who beat them in the ALCS last year. So um, you know, modern front offices sort of look at it as get into the playoffs and. And then from there, you know, you just kind of test your luck. It's crapshoot. And um, the Astros right now look like a pretty secure playoff team. But beyond that, I'm not sure. All right, Chandler. Well, thanks for coming on to help us talk about the Astros. Uh, I think you're at Chandler underscore Rome. Yep, Twitter, that's correct. Right? And then the pages of the Houston Chronicle on HoustonChronicle.com. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to plug? Uh, not really. Just keep following the coverage. Um, you know, we're uh, we're with them from – we were with them from the first day of full squad workouts, and we'll be on the road and with them until the final outs recorded, wherever that is and whenever that is. All right. Well, thanks All for right. coming on. Thanks, Jeff. guys. Thanks to Chandler for helping us break down the Astros. Things are definitely going to look different with no Justin Verlander, but maybe Odorizzi can help to ease the burden there just a little bit. Next up, we have Connor and Robbie joining us from Athletic Rants and the AHO podcast to help us talk about the athletics and their chances to take home a division title and maybe make it a little bit further in the playoffs. Mariners Mojo talking with Athletic Rants and the AHO podcast. It's Robbie and Connor. How's it going, guys? Doing good. How are you? Good. Doing super well, man. Nice. That is what I like to hear. <laughs> um, so are you still doing super good, even though? So without Hendricks, <laughs> with Hendricks leaving, how big of a loss is that? And who's going to step in to fill that role? So a lot of Ace fans kind of went into the offseason. We, we knew Liam Hendricks was not going to be coming back. So it's it's an easy kind of transition for Ace fans, I think, to be like, all right, he's not coming back. So, But we felt pretty comfortable with the guys we had. With Jake Diekman, obviously had a huge year last year. Left a reliever, gets a lot of guys out. He improved his slider a ton. Uh, Pitching Ninja was a big help in that. We also had a guy in J.B. Wendelkin who helped out a lot. Lou Trevino is still pretty solid. And then we went out and signed Trevor Rosenthal for $11 million. So it really brings back into that kind of like comfort feeling for Ace fans again. Like, all right, we lost Hendricks. 
But at least Rosenthal, we know he's a he's a very solid arm in the big leagues. Hasn't had a great closing year since about 2016 with the Cardinals. But he's he's the kind of guy that you can rely on. I mean, was huge with the Padres last season. So we feel pretty good about Rosenthal and Diekman and Trevino. Those three guys, the bullpen really, I don't think, is going to be the issue for the A's this year. So is that even not a worry with all the new faces in the bullpen? Is it that they're going to be fine and Rosenthal's going to be the closer? Uh, I would think so, yeah. So the a lot the big trend this year with the players is they all really wanted Ismero Petit to come back because they all called him the dad of the of the clubhouse because he was he's kind of that veteran leader. So him coming back does help. I mean, as a baseball fan, I mean, obviously I'm not in the clubhouse. So like, and neither is Connor. We, like, we don't really care about that stuff. Like when we watch Ismero Petit pitch, we're like, dude, he's throwing 84, throwing just down the middle. He's giving up bombs, but. If he's helping out the other guys, especially the younger guys, that is a huge help. And also Sergio Romo comes on the staff, and he's already helped Chris Bassett with his slider. So I say overall the the perspective of Ace fans is we feel really good about these new guys coming in and the guys returning as well. Um, with all the new faces in the bullpen, you also have a couple new guys in the lineup, it looks like. with You signed Mitch Moreland, and then they got rid of Ant- or Chris Davis and picked up Andrus. Are they welcome additions, or do you see them as stopgaps? Well, the general perspective is that many Ace fans weren't happy that Marcus Simeon was gone. And the fact that we replaced Elvis Andrus, you look at his stats, and after having a down year in 2020, he was pretty solid in 2019. So Ace fans are pretty happy that he's going to bounce back. And as far as Mitch Moreland, Chris Davis did have a down year. And when you look at Mitch Moreland's stats, this dude rakes at the Coliseum. So we're expecting this guy to be have a big be a big contribution for the A's this year. Will he be the everyday DH guy? We are not so sure about that. He's pretty iffy against lefties, but we are excited to have him play against righties. But that's one of the big question marks still when it comes to the A's this season. We don't know who's going to be that guy to come in and face lefty hitters. And as far as different position battles, in the lineup, the only real position battle is at second base. We have Tony Kemp, Vimeo Machine, Chad Pinder might even get some work there. But we feel like they still could improve at that spot. But nobody at second base is really uh, an everyday guy. But overall, we really like this lineup. They're going to be scoring runs. And we, after Matt Chapman, he was out for the, um, late in the season. Even he had a down year. Matt, Matt Olson had a down year. And they, they were still able to win the AL West. So that could only mean good things if they can bounce back in 2021. You mentioned Kemp at second. Do we? Do you expect to see Nick Allen come up then at some point and compete for that position? I don't expect to see Nick Allen much until 2022 at the earliest. I believe that that's why they got Elvis Andrus. He's going to be that guy to really fill in there until Nick Allen is ready for the majors. So they're going to probably miss uh, Simeon pretty well? We don't really miss Simeon too much, honestly. He's got paid $18 million, You know, in the A's, they just don't want to spend money like that. And we're just really excited about Elvis Andrus. And, yeah, we don't believe Marcus Simeon is as big of a loss as many baseball fans want to make it out to be. So how's uh, Manan looking? Is his velocity up a little bit this year? So far through spring, man, he's throwing 93-94. But, yeah, you, the, the main question with Manaya is always, man, what's his velocity? How's he throwing? How hard he's throwing? Does he feel good? Because he's had plenty of shoulder problems throughout his career. So it's he's the kind of guy, man, because 
this team is only going to be as good as, as well as they pitch, right? I mean, that's kind of the case for a lot of teams. But the A's, we know they have a good one-two punch with Bassett, Lazardo. Hopefully Montas can get back to, feel, to form as he was in 2019. But with Shamanaya, man, if he can step up and, and be that guy like he was when he came back in 2018, even late in 2019 before that wildcard game when he just kind of blew himself up, he, he could be one of the better arms in the rotation, but like you said, man, the the velocity, it's always a question, but so far, so good. With the shoulder issues you were talking about, is there a worry that he's going too hard too soon and that's why they have the velocity uptick? Yeah, that's it's, it seems uh, a lot of people get worried as soon as Manaya comes back. and he, I mean, we've seen it. It's a trend with him a lot of the time. He'll come back fresh, throwing hard. It's when his when his shoulder and his arm gets a little bit of innings on him, gets a little wear on it, then it starts to drag. He starts to throw in that high 80s, low 90s range, and that's when it becomes an issue with him because his his command isn't always at its peak, and the lack of velocity always is never a, a good thing when you're missing spots. And talking about the rest of the starting rotation a little bit, with Manai probably sitting in the middle somewhere, how nice is it having like Bassett and Lazardo in there as well? It's huge. I mean, last season, Chris Bass has been with the A's for a handful of years now, and, and he came in with the A's. He came with Marcus Semien in that Samarja trade, and he was just kind of an innings muncher kind of guy. He was just getting through games, coming in the bullpen, just doing whatever he had to do, and now he's the best arm on the team. Uh, he pitches He pitches your first game in your playoff series last season, so he he was just a monster last season, and and looks like so far through spring he's he's doing a lot better as already he's he's improving his slider which he's really was only a two two to three pitch guy last year so if he can add another one he's even more dangerous and Lazardo wasn't as good as we thought he would be last season but obviously you know young arm people start to figure out you get some scouting reports on you but we expect him to take a step forward this season because he seems hungry already and we're looking forward to that as well but the biggest question mark with the pitching rotation right now is that back end we don't really know who's going to be the five guy right now. They, they say A.J. Puck is going to be maybe a starter, but he can't stay healthy. And they signed back Mike Fires, but he's already got arm problems. He's old as dirt, and he doesn't throw hard. And we have guys like Dalton Jeffries, James Caprillion, Grant Holmes. Those three guys, Caprillion and Dalton Jeffries, have had a little bit of experience in the major league level, but Grant Holmes has had none. And through the major league level that they've had, they haven't really had success. So that that – that fifth guy in the rotation is is going to be hopefully not a revolving door, but it, it might be for this season. So what more about AJ Puck can you tell us? I mean, we're <laughs> we're all really excited when he gets to pitch. So like <laughs> he's 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 a really great watch for sure. And if you see him up close, I mean this stuff is just ridiculous. And he just he's a monster up there. He's he's like eight feet tall and it's just ridiculous. He's throwing ninety-seven and I always kind of saw him as a late inning reliever kind of guy. I wanted him to be that Andrew Miller kind of type. You know, he can go multiple innings and and get a ton of outs, kind of ton of strikeouts. I mean, limit the contact. But they want to see him as a starter as much as they possibly can. But it's just no Ace fan has any type of faith right now for him to stay healthy for a long term. So what about Frankie Montas? Because in one of the weirder rules with spring training, you can have a guy on the COVID list, but he can still pitch because it's treated as like a rehab assignment yeah i don't really know what the deal with this uh that new that new rule is but he pitched today against the white Sox and he looked great so uh i think he's he's doing fine and 
and we're looking forward to hopefully he can get back to throwing that splitter a lot more. He threw it a few times today. And uh, yeah, I, but that, that COVID rule is the COVID list thing is, is I don't understand some of the stuff they're trying to do. So you expecting him to be like the number three in the rotation or is he going to be below Manaya? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think, I think the rest of the spring is going to be a good telltale of how he, how he kind of plays himself out into the into the regular season. So I would anticipate him as the two guy if they want to go Bassett, Lazardo, Montas, get that right, left, right kind of going. But uh, he, he could fall into that two or three zone. So do you see uh, Dalton Jeffries coming up this year? I do, yeah, definitely. I think he's going to get a lot of good innings for the A's. And this is where they, they thrive. They're going to have to have somebody in this pitching staff step up because – it's just right now, one through four, we're pretty solid unless Manaya has a rough year. But one through four, we, we feel really good. We don't feel good about Fires. We don't really know about Jeffries yet. We don't really know about Caprillion. We know nothing about Grant Holmes. We've only seen him in the minor leagues. So it's just, we'll, we'll see. Uh, hopefully Dalton Jeffries is that guy who can step up. He seems like he's had a good spring so far. So hopefully that continues. And we've touched on some of your prospects already with Puck, Allen, Jeffries. Is there any other prospects at some point during this year that we should keep an eye out for, learn their names, so when we see them in either June or September, it's like, oh, hey, I kind of know that guy. Connor, go ahead, man. Talk about the outfield prospects. Yeah, the A's, we actually do have a lot of good outfield prospects right now. We have Buddy Reed. He's been having a really good spring. He, We can see him maybe getting chances if Biscotti is having a really down year, which – we can't really get rid of Steven Piscotti. So we have Buddy Reed and then there's Seth Brown. He and Sky Bolt have gotten some time at the majors, limited at bats, but we expect to see him them play a lot. A lot of Seth Brown maybe at DH on days that Mitch Moreland doesn't play. But those are the the three guys that you should really look out for for the A's late in the season. If the A's were going to make a trade to shore up some position, uh, what position would they go after? I'd like to think they would go after another starting pitcher, potentially. Maybe a guy like someone from the Pirates, maybe. Or maybe even a second baseman. I, I would like to see them go after maybe a Whit Merrifield or a Adam Frazier from Pittsburgh, kind of like they did with Tommy LaStella last year to show up the infield. But those are the two positions I would like to see them go after. So a lot of places have the athletics either second or first in projected wins. Um, I think what I saw was half a game above the Astros at like 88 and a half. Is that kind of the feeling around this team is that, yeah, the athletics are the best team in the division? I feel like the AL West is as competitive as it's been in the last couple of years. I mean, you see how good the Astros have been. The A's have also been pretty good. But I also don't think that the Astros are much better than a lot of people think that they are. A lot of people think the Astros are going to just run away with this division. But I think the A's and the Angels are pretty close to them. But I do think that the A's have a good chance to win this division, considering all the additions that they've had to counteract the losses. But yeah, I would say that's pretty good. I can see the A's winning the AL West at about 91 games. So with winning the division and making the playoffs, how far do you think they could go in the playoffs? I'd like to think they can go to the ALCS. Anything less than an ALCS this year was honestly a failure. Do I see they do I see them beating a team like the Yankees in a seven game series? Not really, but 
this is the last year I think that they can really make a push before they might have to rebuild. But ALCS is as far as I would like to think they can go. How about you, Robbie? Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, that window, we talk about it all the time on our, on our show, and Ace fans kind of feel it closing a little bit. And we know when these contracts run up with these rookie guys, the rookie deals at least, we know we're not going to get them back. So this is kind of it, and this is a really good season. We thought last year was going to be a good shot, and they made a decent run, but not not nearly as, as far as we had hoped. So this season is really the year they gotta they got to push through that wall and, and, and get to an ALCS. So if anything less than ALCS is a, a quote-unquote failure, does that mean you have them as the second-best team in the American League? That's a tough one. I would say they are definitely up there. Obviously, the, the White Sox, they're looking pretty good. A lot of those AL Central teams. And then the Yankees. I still like what I see from the Rays. The Blue Jays, I think they are a dark horse team coming out this year. But I think the A's are at least a top three, four team in the AL. And how did it change your feeling about winning the division when you saw that the Astros signed Odorizzi? I don't think Jake Odorizzi is as good as a lot of Astros fans are making him out to be. If you look at his numbers, they aren't spectacular. He's coming off an injury, so he really does not worry me that much, to be honest. I How do you feel, Robbie? Yeah, I mean, replacing... I mean, Valdez was a good arm for sure. And replacing him with Odorizzi, it's it's a decent signing for sure. I mean, it's not like the worst thing in the world. I mean, he's a he's a good arm, but I think the A's can handle him. I, I know I know the A's have, have have hit righties well over the last few years, at least, because they have a lot of good left-handed bats in their lineup. But yeah, Odorizzi's not really a guy who who sticks out to me. He's not gonna kill you. He's not gonna just shove you down a shove it shove it down our throat. So I I do like that signing for Houston. But do I think it really makes them any better? No, I think it's a good replacement signing for sure for Valdez. So if things go right, what happens this year? Robbie, you want to take that? If things go right this year, man, we're looking we're looking at an ALCS berth. And I won't go as as any farther than that. But if things go well, man, another division would be would be great. Uh, it, I think it is ours to lose this season. I don't. I didn't see Houston really do anything to get themselves better. They had problems with their bullpen last season. They blew a lot of late leads. I mean, they still have their most of their core guys. They only lost Springer. I mean, Correa is still going to kill you. Altuve is not going to be as bad as he was last season. And Bregman's still a stud. And they still have Michael Brantley, who just absolutely murders us. And it's one of the most frustrating things ever. But I think he, I think the A's. I think they have the right guys in peace this season. They'd made a lot of good moves and I think they have good veteran leadership this season. And there's been a trend with these pickups, every single guy who they've gotten. Elvis Andrews has been to a, a world series or two and you have Sergio Roma. Who's won a few world series. Mitch Moreland's won a few world series. I mean, the list goes on. These guys have been in the playoffs. They've been there. So I think there's definitely a trend with the front office, what they wanted to do. And hopefully that formula works and we'll find ourselves deep into a playoff run. And, you know, I think the A's definitely are a top three team in the American League when when uh, when guys like Chapman and Olsen are mashing for us. And last season they really weren't. So I think this is the year they do, and they and we step up and we make a name for ourselves. You know, I'll leave you with this one. You mentioned Chapman and Olsen. Good year for them. How many home runs do they combine for? Ooh, Connor, go Ooh. ahead. Well, I want to believe Matt Olsen's going to hit at least thirty eight this year. Matt Chapman, he's shown that he's trying to get his pop back. So I'm going to be bold. I'm going to say they both combine 
for 83 home runs. Mm, that's a lot. Yeah. So if you're going to have to put a friendly wager on 76 and a half home runs from the mats, you're taking the over? Yeah, I'm taking the over. That's Mainly funny. I was, thinking, I was thinking 75. So. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I was thinking 38 from each of them. You're taking the over or the under on that one. Ooh, see, that's the over. Yeah, I don't know about Chapman. I, I don't know if he hits that many, but he could. He has the potential, but he does he does go through his stretches. But Olsen, I think, can go over that for sure. All right, guys. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, Connor and Robbie, you want to plug all your stuff before we get out of here? Yeah. Check us out on Spotify, Buzzsprout, and Apple Podcasts at the All Hell Oakland Podcast. We talk about the A's and just everything in between. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to Robbie and Connor for helping us break down the athletics and their chances at maybe making the ALCS. Hey, if they believe it, you never know. It could happen. Hopefully you enjoyed our AL West preview, getting to learn a bit about the Rangers, the Angels, the Astros, and the Athletics. Make sure to check out our secondary episode, I guess you could call it. It's really the first one because it's talking about the Mariners. Get a little preview of the Mariners. It's a bit longer. We dive into it a little bit more, but hopefully from the end of these two episodes, you can learn about the Mariners, the Rangers, the Angels, the Astros, and the Athletics to give you everything you need for your AL West preview. Remember, Mariners Mojo, the heartbeat of baseball.